0: I know maybe for some of you who are new here, this emphasis on peacemaking may not be something you're familiar with, or maybe you've never heard it talked about at the church you attended. For me, the church that I grew up in, if you would have asked me about peacemaking when I was, say, age 18, I would have no idea what you're talking about. That just wasn't something in my mind that wasn't a value of the church that I grew up in. And so I understand maybe if you have questions, concerns, you don't quite understand peacemaking, I'd encourage you to come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Tamil. Um, as I know that sometimes when we're learning new things, it's kind of, oh, is this, is this actually true? Is this part of Scripture? And so, you know, if, you're, if you have questions, feel free to come talk to us. I'd also encourage you, if you're struggling with this idea of peacemaking and you weren't here last week, uh, you can listen to my sermon from Matthew on peacemaking. I'm not sure about you, but I remember the first time I had a major conflict with someone. I'm not talking about like, you know, when I'm a child and, you know, a child steals your toy and you get really angry. I mean, like, a real conflict where kind of a grudge began to settle in my heart. I was 13 at the time, and of course, I did many dumb things before that age, but I never really had any major conflicts up until that age. And this is the first time. I can remember where sin really took hold in my heart. Of course, I sinned before that, but often you know, I'd ask for forgiveness or usually it was small things. But this was probably, I would say, the first time that I can remember sin actually taking a hold in my heart for a long time. I can remember the day, it was in Edmonton, I was 13 years old, come to the end of summer, and my brother was leaving for Bible college. My brother was six years older than I was. My brother and I were very close growing up. Even though he was six years older, we would spend a lot of time together. We would, um, you know, go mountain biking. We would play Lego, play video games. You know, kind of as boy- brothers do, you get up to mischievousness and, you know, make your parents a bit crazy. Um, but him leaving, I remember, changed all that. I remember when he left, I felt incredibly sad because if you think about it, from age one to 13, my brother was in my life daily. we loved hanging out together, loved spending time. And I wasn't mad at him at this time, but I remember feeling emotions of sadness, of grief, of like kind of feeling like, where's my brother going? And obviously it's not, it's not bad to go to Bible college. I'm not against Bible college in any way, but he was three hours away and uh, he rarely made contact with me during this time. And uh, When I was growing up as a teenager for those next four to five years, it actually hurt quite a bit because we had such a strong relationship. And then he was gone, and he just never really made the effort to reach out. And so then I became hardened in my heart towards him. That was kind of the first moment where I really began just to uh, ignore him. And so as time went on, there's this grudge that began to form in my heart towards my brother. The relationship we once had slowly began to fall apart. We were no longer at peace. I held anger in my heart towards him for years. This morning, is there someone perhaps you hold anger against? Is there someone you're not at peace with? What is the state of your heart to those around you? Is there someone perhaps even at this church you'd rather not talk to? I know sometimes, you know, like you're walking down the hallway of the church and you see the other person and quickly, you know, you turn to maybe go use the washroom or you kind of go the other way because, well, I'd rather not talk to that person. I'd rather not say hello. This morning, let me suggest that Jesus is our peace and he desires to get rid of our grudges, our animosity towards one another. Let's pray before we read scripture this morning. Father, we thank you that you are here and you hear our prayers. I thank you that you know your children and you're not a God who's far off but near. Lord, meet us in this place, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. Holy Spirit, allow us to experience Jesus through the written word. May we experience the living word. May we encounter you, Father, and be made into your image. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to Ephesians 2, and we're going to be reading from Ephesians 2, 11 to 20. Again, Ephesians 2, 11 to 20. This morning, we're going to continue on the theme of peacemaking, and we're going to be talking about how Jesus is our peace. So Ephesians 2, 11 to 20. So then, remember that at one time you are Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called. The circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we have one access and one spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Amen. So this morning, the first thing I want to focus on is Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. Have you ever like read scripture And it kind of just like passes over your head. It's kind of like, you know, like a plane in the sky. You're like, oh, that's a nice plane. And then you kind of just go on with your day. I feel often when I read scripture, that's really easy to happen. I was raised in a pastor's home. So as you can imagine, a pastor's home, there was a lot of scripture. Do devotions every morning with my dad. He would do it with us as a family. And kind of over time, scripture just kind of became boring. It became kind of bland. And I think sometimes that can happen to us. We forget who we were before we met Jesus. We forget what Jesus has done in our life. Paul here is speaking to this Ephesian church and they've, they've kind of forgotten who they were before they came to Jesus. And Paul's reminding him, the Ephesian church, that they had no hope without Jesus before. And I know sometimes when we talk about having no hope without Jesus, or when we talk about sin and the need for a savior, sometimes it can be uncomfortable. It's not very Canadian-like. But the fact is, it is the truth. The passage preceding this in chapter 2 declares that we were dead in sin. We were dead in trespasses. That we were children who belonged to the enemy, yet Jesus demonstrated his love towards us. And in verses 11 to 12, it mentions Being uncircumcised, uncircumcised, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenant. Jesus, you know, if there was another way, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, let this cup pass from me. This wasn't an optional thing for Jesus to do. Jesus had to go to the cross to cleanse us from sin. And Paul is talking to the Ephesian church and says, you were in sin before Jesus. Yet Jesus, through his love, has broken the power of sin over our lives. Sometimes in our society, it's easy to talk about Jesus, but we kind of do like a low-key Jesus. You know, Jesus is the, the wise philosopher. Jesus is the good sage, or he's, you know, the good teacher. And like, this, this, these things may be true of Jesus, but he's much more than that too. He is a savior, a savior to embrace. He is the way to the Father. In verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you are far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, there is no hope. No hope for us as a church, no hope for us as individuals, no hope for the world. This act of Jesus on the cross was scandalous to the Jewish people. It was not what was expected. When Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he's reminding them, guess what? You are without hope without Jesus. The Jewish people had the promises of God. They had a relationship with Yahweh. They were in covenant. But Gentiles, they didn't have that covenant and they weren't expecting to enter into that covenant. To become a Jew, if you were a Gentile, was a very difficult process. And during this time this Ephesian church, there was serious animosity between Jews and Gentiles. I know we've talked about this a bit, and it's interesting. There's a scholar called John Barclay, and he notes that it was not even lawful to give help to a Gentile woman in childbirth, for that would be to bring another Gentile into the world. He goes on to say the barrier between Jews and Gentiles was absolute. If a Jew married a Gentile, the funeral of that Jew was carried out. End quote. The fact that we've been brought into covenant with God was a scandalous act, something that was not expected to happen. It's easy to forget who we were before Jesus. I know it's easy for me because I was raised in a pastor's home. I just took Jesus for granted. Jesus, is he our hope? Or is it easy to forget and kind of become passe with Jesus? With my brother for years as a teenager and some young adult years, i forgotten the hope of Jesus. I got jaded against my brother. I began to kind of center my relationship on my hurts towards my brother instead of centering myself on Jesus. If I would have centered myself on Jesus, I think I would have realized I need to forgive. I need to let go of the grudge I had towards him. Are we centered in Jesus? Are we maybe centered in something else? Centered in our grudge and our hurts? There was a time of Said in my sermons that I went through a time of kind of deconstruction. I know this can sometimes be a dirty word, but let me say the one thing that kept me grounded in my time of questioning, my time of doubt for two years, was Jesus. I remember saying to Jesus, I don't know about everything I've been taught about Christianity. I don't know if it's true, but I know that you're real. And that was kind of how I forged ahead and just trying to seek after Jesus and to know him. Is Jesus our center? Or maybe our grudge, our hurt towards someone else is actually what is the main thing in our relationship. Second point, Jesus is our reconciliation. Jesus is our reconciliation. Ephesians 2 14 to 17. For he is our peace, who made both, both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made no effect of the law consisting of the commands and expressed in regulations so that he may create in himself. One new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed good news of peace to those who are far away and to those who are near. This word reconciliation just means to restore relationship. Something that was broken, something that was not what it was meant to be. To reconcile is to bring health, to bring wholeness to that relationship. And often in churches, we've talked about Jesus restoring our relationship with God. And that's true. Jesus does that. But Jesus desires more than just this kind of vertical restoration. Jesus desires a horizontal reconciliation. Reconciliation with one another. To be peace with each other. And here we have two groups. We have Jews and Gentiles. And Paul's saying, you need to be at peace. Jesus has reconciled you. I think that would have been a real challenge to them. In verse 14, it talks about how he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, this wall, sometimes there's kind of three interpretations. Maybe this wall is perhaps in the temple. In the temple, they had a wall that literally separated Gentiles from the Jews. If you're a Gentile, you could only go so far in the temple, you only had so much access. It also thought that maybe this wall of hostility is perhaps the Torah, the requirements of the law. And also, perhaps the cultural hostility. And I think these things are all true because Torah separated the Jewish person from the Gentile. If you followed Torah, you couldn't be with a Gentile because of the requirements of Torah. And so Jesus begins to break these walls down that we have. Do we want to be reconciled to one another? Do we want to be at peace? And I'm honest when I say this. I, as a pastor's kid growing up in a church, I know that this isn't always true. I've grown up in church. I know times when people are angry at one another, when they gossip behind other people's back. I haven't experienced this so far at Evergreen, but I'm sure probably there are some people that might really dislike one another here. Hopefully that's not the case, but I mean, if church is church, that's generally what happens. I'm just being honest. I've been in a lot of different churches. There's usually a bit of animosity. There's usually a bit of, I really don't like that person And this doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything to be reconciled. Jews and Gentiles had many disagreements, the ones who were even Christians. And when I was in my early adult years, 18 to 19, I didn't want to reconcile with my brother. My brother would make an effort. He would invite me to go hunting with him. He'd invite me to go play sports with him. Invite me to go watch a game with him. And what would I do every time? I would deny him. I would say no. I'd make up some lame excuse And to be honest, I'm ashamed of how I responded to my brother throughout those years. Those years were lost because of my sinfulness, my grudge, my holding on to offense instead of seeking Jesus. My parents would encourage me over the years to forgive my brother, to develop a relationship with him. And I would always just shut them out. Sin reigned in my body instead of Jesus. Jesus wanted to reconcile, to make peace between me and my brother, but I didn't want any of it. I think by my actions, I was saying Jesus' blood isn't good enough for reconciliation. This morning, Jesus is our reconciliation. And I encourage you, if you are not at peace with someone here this morning, make peace. Third point Jesus is our unity, He is our unity. Ephesians 2, 18 to 20, for through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. This closing section points to the reality that we have in Jesus to this Ephesian community. Jew and Gentile coming together through the same Spirit. This is not something that would have happened at that time. And it's no longer, you know, the Jews go here, the Gentiles go here, they have the same access to God through the Spirit. Do we have a sense of unity that can be found in Jesus? Or perhaps maybe we're ripped apart by what's going on in our world. We you know, kind of take sides in church and we're quickly, you know, we get mad at each other and we're not willing to make peace. And I understand sometimes there's important issues that you, know, you may disagree with someone on and that, that's okay. But can we be at peace with one another, love one another, even though we may disagree? Thankfully, my brother and I were able to reconcile. And to be frank, that was mostly my responsibility. I was the one who was mostly rejecting him. And I remember, it was in my first year of Bible college, and uh, I was living in Edmonton at the time, there was a Bible college there, and my brother actually came back to Edmonton. He was pastoring in another town, but he came and started pastoring in the church that I was attending, that I was raised in, and so that didn't make me all too happy. Uh, my, My parents said to me, they said, you should really help your brother with youth and young adults ministry, and I remember thinking, there is no way I'm helping my brother with his youth ministry but then loathingly, I remember that I finally agreed with enough pressure. I was like, fine, you know, I'll help them. And I remember as we began to re engage, and then I saw my own foolishness. I saw my own sin. I saw how much I had lost because I allowed this grudge to be in me. And it didn't take, I think it took about either my mid to late 20s, where I actually formally apologized to him. It took me that long to lay down my pride and say, look, I know that I did this and it was wrong. And, you know, he forgave me and we moved on. And, you know, I'm sad to think of the years that were lost because of this, but I'm also thankful for the years that have been kind of regained, for the relationship restored after that. I'm thankful for my brother to be at peace with him. Worship team, you can come up. That'd be great. Um, i know jesus desires to bring us into unity together today he desires that we have a strong relationship and my brother has been a huge support throughout my life through my difficulties in life through pastoring god has used my brother to help form me into the image of jesus as a church here are we in unity with one another are we in relationship with one another? Maybe the person you're most angry at or the person you have the most struggles with is the person God wants you to enter into relationship with because maybe that person will refine you. Maybe they'll sand off those rough edges that, you know, you really don't want Jesus to touch. Jesus' blood isn't only meant to bring us into reconciliation with our Father, but with each other. Do we have our hope in him? Are we, We're called to be unified in him. Would you keep Jesus at the center of your faith? Or maybe, like the Jews and Gentiles, maybe it's easy to keep your hurts, your kind of your disdain for the other person. But I think Jesus would say, I am your peace. My blood covers this. I mean, a huge part why the book of Romans is written by Paul is addressing this very issue of Jew and Gentile divide in the church. But if Jesus is at the center of our faith, I think some of these other issues that cause division begin not to mean such a big deal. They're not as important. Would we keep Jesus at the center? Because he is our hope. He is our peace. He is our reconciler. Let's pray and then the worship team can lead us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you desire peace between us, between people who disagree, people who think differently, Father. You desire unity, reconciliation, even when it's difficult, even when our our pride is on the line. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. In your name, amen.